Oh, hi! Hey, good to see you. I'm so glad you came back. Uh, we had a little guest switch up this week. Don't worry, I'll explain everything. Just grab a drink and join the party. Alright, so the original guest must have gotten lost or something. You know how windy the roads are getting here. Not a problem, we can have them another time. Instead, someone wrote in with a suggestion. Now, as I got to know this person, I realized I have to classify them as two different people. That means we're going to get to know young Elvis today. You might think, oh, well, he was not a Hollywood star. He was just a singer. Let's not be snooty. We're cool. We can give someone a chance. I mean, Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby started out as singers. Elvis was in 33 movies. That's four more than Bing. And in today's money, all of his films made almost $2.2 billion. And out of those 33, there's only one that he doesn't get top billing. Some are classics. Some are for ride or die Elvis fans. Because he was a suggestion, let's give him a chance. Elvis Aaron Presley was born January 8th, 1935. His twin, Jesse Guerin, was stillborn. His mother said, when one twin died, the one that lived got all the strength for both. This part of Elvis's story was never pushed under the rug in later years. Jesse is in an unmarked grave, and no one really knows the location. And unlike George Cukor's unmarked grave, I'm okay with this one, because these people were poor. To be perfectly honest, I don't know if there's another white celebrity that started out this incredibly poor in life. Some nights, all they had to eat was cornbread and water. I don't know how many of you had or have grandparents or parents who lived through the Great Depression. It really did a number on those who were super poor. The family lived in Tupelo, Mississippi. His parents, Gladys and Vernon, met at a Holy Roller church and ran off to get married in 1933. They had to lie about their ages, so in reality, Vernon was 17 and Gladys was 21. Okay, Gladys. It seems that Vernon was not particularly ambitious. He wasn't lazy. If he didn't have a job, he was always looking for one, but just no dreams to strive for. Gladys, on the other hand, was very feisty, loved to dance. She told Elvis her dream when she was young was to dance in the movies. Vernon said, We was poor, but we weren't trash. We never had any prejudice, we never put anyone down, and neither did Elvis. They were a very insular family, not a lot of family friends. Besides going to church, they kind of just kept to themselves. With that said, Elvis was extremely close to his mother. Compared to her, Vernon didn't even come close in Elvis's eyes. She couldn't have any more children, so she was beyond a helicopter parent. Not just when he was little, but forever. They would speak baby talk to each other, and he nicknamed her Satin. Clearly this is a weirdly close relationship, but Gladys always called a spade a spade, and I like that about her. I don't want to have to repeat this as many times as I had to read this, so please know that as a young boy, Elvis was extremely shy and super sensitive. The sensitivity is going to work out great for him later on, so I don't really feel bad about that. He did not stand out in school, and in some of the photos of him during the time, he kind of stood away from the rest of the group. Like most little boys, he loved comic books, keeping his copies nice and neat, and he apparently kept them with him for the rest of his life. 
he got a guitar on his 11th birthday and would take it everywhere with him. This was before that was semi-cool, so instead it was just weird. The kids at school would make fun of him because they didn't like the hillbilly or race music that he played. Some little shithead kid cut the strings on his guitar, and the nice kids in class collected money and finally bought him some new ones. The family moved to Memphis when he was in 8th grade. They lived in the projects, but for the Presleys, it was the nicest place they ever lived. He tried out for football, but quit because they told him he had to cut his hair, which no thank you. Honestly, he preferred having girlfriends over guy friends at this point. It wasn't anything hormonal. He just felt like he could be more open with his thoughts and feelings than with a guy. By high school, his appearance was really starting to morph into what we know. He liked hanging out at the record shop, and he window shopped at the store called Lansky's. Lansky's is still around, and you can still buy many of the same items Elvis wore. But at the time, it was primarily where black people shopped. Elvis didn't care. He liked their style. And his favorite combo was wearing pink and black. Once he started making money, he never wore jeans because he said that was the uniform of the poor when he was a kid. He worked as an usher in the movie theater in town. Sure, he needed the money, but really, he wanted the job so he could watch free movies. To shut people up, he would say he wanted to be a truck driver when he graduated high school, but in reality, he was dreaming of becoming just like Marlon Brando or Tony Curtis. But that wasn't the type of thing you would say to people in a town like that. He wasn't doing well in music classes at school. As a matter of fact, he was failing. It was bad. But he decided to perform in a talent show. He hadn't performed in public before, so when he gets up there, all the kids are like, what is this joker doing? He sings, Till I Waltz Again With You. Well, all of a sudden, everyone thinks he's alright, because they realize this little weirdo has a big talent. It was a big deal in the Presley household that he graduated high school. Neither one of his parents did, so it meant more to them than it did to him. And afterwards, he went to work delivering materials to a construction site. He was going to become an electrician, but he said he couldn't daydream on that job. He made $40 a week, keeping three for himself, and he gave the rest to his parents. A couple of months into summer, Elvis starts driving by Sun Records Studio. Then he walks by, and then he starts peeking through the blinds to look inside. Finally, he goes in and says he wants to record something for his mom's birthday. Her birthday's in April. It was for her, just not for her birthday. If Elvis just wanted to record his voice, he could have gone to a little rinky-dink place in town and paid 25 cents. But what he really wanted was someone professional to hear him singing. He mentions to the secretary, Marion Kiesker, to keep him in mind if they needed any singers. She asked him who he sounded like. I don't sound like nobody. While he's singing, Marion secretly records a copy for herself to keep and she gives it to the boss and writes down, good ballad singer, hold. Sam Phillips is the owner of Sun Records. Most people were not eager to record at Sun because they specialized in blues music that no one else wanted to record, like things with B.B. King and Ike Turner. Sam was raised on a farm in Alabama and learned about blues from a blind old man who worked on the farm named Uncle Silas Payne. Silas was born into slavery, and Sam said it was his mission in life to, quote, give the poor Negro a voice in a place where he did not have one. At this point in time, Sun's biggest hit was Walkin' in the Rain by the Prisoners. The group was comprised of five dudes. Three of them were murderers, and the lead singer had committed six rapes before he was even 17. Nothing happened with the first record Elvis did. In January, he went in again, but was really nervous and it didn't turn out very well. He still stopped in every week just to see if they needed anybody. He started going back to church again. A real fire and brimstone, speaking in tongues kind of place. Dixie Locke, 
a little 15-year-old girl notices him. She makes sure to mention loudly to her girlfriends about going to a roller skating rink later on. Of course he shows up. He doesn't know how to skate, so they grab a Coke and they stay out late all night talking. She's totally in love with him after that. Duh, she's 15. Her parents don't like him because he has long hair. She doesn't care. This is his first girlfriend ever. So he's super nervous to bring her home. What if his mom doesn't like her? Luckily, Dixie passed the test. Elvis gave her his class ring and they promised to stay pure until marriage. He finally got a gig in a band and was promptly fired after his only performance. Later on, when he's filming Jailhouse Rock, he says, I wonder what Eddie Bond, the dude who fired him, thinks now. Man, that son of a bitch broke my heart. I'm sure revenge tasted sweet. Elvis gets a call from Sun. They needed somebody. See, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. He meets up with Scotty Moore to audition, and he said that cat can sing, but nothing special really stood out. They go into the studio the next day and add in Bill Black. Hours and hours of nothing. There's no AC in there, and it's July, so they take a little break and grab a Coke. Elvis all of a sudden starts singing, That's All Right, Little Mama. Sam Phillips pokes his head in and asks, What's that? Elvis says, Ah, oh, I'm just messing around. Well, whatever he was doing was fresh as hell, and they needed to get it on record. They had just on accident fused a blues song with country sound. Sam Phillips called DJ Daddy-O Dewey Phillips, no relation to Sam Phillips, and has him give it a listen. Oh, what's going on the radio the next day? Elvis is way too embarrassed to tune in. So he goes down to the movie theater and has his parents listen for him. He thought people were going to laugh. They play the record seven times in a row. They got 114 phone calls and 47 telegraphs right away. Gladys has to go down to the movie theater, look around on every single aisle, finally find Elvis and pull him out so he can do an interview at the radio station. One hit's great, but now they have to make another one. So they do Blue Moon of Kentucky. They start performing at an airfield for a bunch of rednecks, and people lost their damn minds. But Elvis thought, they are just making fun of him. Dixie saw the whole thing and said, I don't think he was prepared for what was about to happen. He knew this was what he wanted to do, and that it was breaking for him, but I don't think he ever thought everyone would just go crazy. I wanted to tell the screaming girls to shut up and leave him alone. And I felt all of a sudden, I was not a part of what he was doing. He was doing something so totally him that I was not a part of it, and he loved it. The first publicity photo of himself, he positively hated it. Because he had all kinds of acne, he was still a teenager, so it's natural, awful, but natural. He was still wearing pink shirts with black slacks and loafers, and there was a bolero jacket that he just loved to rock. And being observant of Brando and Tony Curtis, he knew actors wore eye makeup, and he would sometimes sneak into Gladys's vanity and put some on. It was tough to get play on some radio stations. One DJ said, this should not be played after the sun comes up in the morning. It is so country. Others said it was too raggedy, even with all that kickback. It was number three on the territorial bestseller list on Billboard by August. That means country lovers started buying it. It was not just rhythm and blues people. In October, they played the Grand Ole Opry, which was extremely rare for a band with only one hit to play there. They get booked on this show called Hayride, which led them to sign a one-year contract to perform on that show. By December, they finally got a manager, Bob Neal, who introduces Elvis to Colonel Tom Parker. I know we've talked about some real scuzzwads before. Harry Cohen was probably at the top of the heap, followed by George Towers. But Tom Parker is king shit of Ass Mountain. He told people he was from West Virginia, that he was abandoned as a child, and that he ran away to work with carnies. His true story didn't come out until the 1980s. Buckle up, this guy is a cuckoo -doo. 
His real name is Andreas Cornelius Van I Don't Give a Shit. He was born in the Netherlands. When he was a teenager, he did work at a carnival. He moved to America in his 20s because he said he wanted to make his fortune. Also, because he probably committed a murder. So, my dude joins the army. Does not want to tell them he's an illegal immigrant. Does he not have an accent? So he changes his name on the spot to the same name as the officer who's interviewing him for the army. He went AWOL, who was surprised by this. They caught him, put him in solitary confinement. Apparently, this gave him mental health issues. I think they were already there, dude. So he goes to a mental hospital and was eventually discharged for that issue. He got married, went back to the carnival, ran a pet cemetery. He worked as a manager for a few singers, making sure he made 25% of what they made, something he would continue to do with Elvis, except for he increased it to 50%. Elvis said his ambitions were not ordinary and wanted to go all the way. So Tom convinced him that Sun Records had done all they could for him and he needed to sign with RCA or some other big recording company. While Vernon took a while to warm up to Tom, Gladys said this, that Colonel, he's the devil himself. Tom's true nature won't come out until later. What am I saying? He's already killed a man and went AWOL. I think we pretty much know what kind of a person he is and that Gladys was on the money. While Tom tries to figure out something with a bigger record company, Elvis keeps performing. He did 20 cities in three weeks. Off stage, he's very polite. On stage, people think he's some punk kid. He's super competitive, but doesn't want to come off like he's got a big head. The women love him, and the men hated him because of that reason. Women were literally shredding his clothes when he came off the stage, which Tom loved to see. Like, imagine him looking at this with cartoon dollar signs in his eyes. One night, an angry husband punched Elvis as he got off stage. What'd you do that for, said Elvis. While you were singing, my wife got too excited. I've never seen her like that before. No one's allowed to do that to my wife. Clearly not even her own husband. He and Dixie ended things. He knew a good Christian girl from a small town wouldn't like the life he wanted. Elvis had bought his parents a car and a new home. Gladys started taking diet pills because she wanted to look nice for Elvis and for his fans. Sometimes he would take the diet pills just to give himself some energy. In his dance moves and just sitting around, Elvis is very fidgety and he always bit his nails all the way down. Was this natural or was this because of the diet pills? And by the way, these are not like how weight loss pills are now. This is the good shit. Like you will lose weight and you for sure will have heart problems because you're running on hummingbird mode now. Sun Records was great for Elvis in the beginning. He had spent his entire life prior to this consuming music. Then Sun helped mold him into what he would become, but they were still really small. Also Sun started having some artists that they were trying to promote, like Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis. Sam Phillips sold Elvis's contract to RCA for 40 grand. Some music producers helped pay for this deal, so Elvis Presley Music was set up, and now he had people writing music just for him. He also got part of the publishing rights, plus his royalties, which were 5%. The first song that his writers put together for him was based on a quote from a suicide letter that said, I walk a lonely street. Everyone thought, oh my God, how morbid. This is an awful idea for a song, except for Elvis. He loved it. When Heartbreak Hotel was released, it went against Folsom Blues by Johnny Cash and Blue Suede Shoes by Carl Perkins. Neither one could touch Elvis's song. It only took 18 months between Elvis being a truck driver in Memphis to becoming a superstar millionaire. Tom knew the key to Elvis's success was TV. 
he starts doing the Dorsey Brothers show, which Jackie Gleason of The Honeymooners was a producer. Side note, Jackie Gleason had his own orchestra and he put out tons and tons of records. They're like beautiful romantic music. I love them. So Jackie didn't have a tin ear. He knew what was good. He really liked Elvis and he told him, you're gonna be a big star. Here's some advice, don't hide. Walk the streets, go to restaurants, but don't hide because if you do, you're going to be the loneliest guy in the world. He is working a ton, everything's a whirlwind. He collapsed at the Gator Bowl one night in February. The doctor told him, you need to slow down. His band goes to pick him up the next day and he says with a wink, the nurses kept him up all night. He went right back to doing shows, did not listen to the doctor. By March, he has six singles in the top 25. 300,000 copies of his first album fly off the shelves, and he is now RCA's first million dollar album. At the end of the same month, he flies to Hollywood to shoot a test with producer Hal Wallace. Hal was not some like B-movie producer. He did The Maltese Falcon, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and Casablanca. That's freaking a great list. Screenwriter Alan Weiss was there for the screen test and recalled, the transformation was incredible. Electricity bounded off the walls of the soundstage. One felt it as an awesome thing, like an earthquake in progress, only without the implicit threat. The test was completed in two takes. Elvis had imagined himself into becoming a singer. Now, why couldn't he will himself into becoming a huge movie star? Paramount was not messing around. Let's be honest, Tom Parker is behind all of this. Elvis gets a one-picture deal with an option for six. He gets $15,000 for the first, working his way up to $100,000 for the sixth. While the studio puts together a script for him, he went to Vegas for four weeks at $7,500 a week. The Atomic Testing Site is nearby, so the casino billed him as the Atomic Singer and put up a 25-foot-high cutout. The first night he performed, a guest said, God damn it, shit. What is all this yelling and screaming? I can't take this. Let's go to the tables and gamble. Even though Elvis didn't drink or gamble, he loved Vegas. He could stay up late, see all kinds of shows, hang out at the pool, there were hot chicks. He goes to see Liberace perform and is blown away with his aesthetic. If people thought Elvis was a loud dresser, Lee was deafening. But Elvis loved it. You can see his fashions changed after that. Here comes the rhinestones, here comes the door knocker rings. I'm all about that look. As Lee said, too much of a good thing is wonderful. He also started singing the song Hound Dog after hearing a group perform it in Vegas. The song was originally sung by Big Mama Thornton, and it was about a low-down, nasty man. But Elvis is literally singing to a dog. I think it's time for us to grab another drink, don't you? I'll be right back. Okay, so... Right on schedule, here comes the religious zealots. If you don't bring them out, are you even doing rock and roll correctly? They accused him of doing a strip tease with clothes on. What kind of footloose shit is that? They accused him of causing juvenile delinquency, race mixing, and a breakdown of morality. All of that angered and offended him. He said, I don't do vulgar movements. I'm not trying to be sexy. It's just my way of expressing how I feel when I move around. My movements are all leg movements. I don't do nothing with my body. Lots of people in the Bible Belt really thought he was the devil incarnate. Elvis was scheduled to perform on the Steve Allen show, and Steve was getting heat to cancel him. 
hell no, this is great press. We'll just film him from the waist up. Well, what does covering something up do? Makes people go even more nuts. Girls were standing outside holding signs saying they wanted gyrating Elvis. All this did was hype him up even more. Genius marketing tactics. Someone asked him what he'll do after rock and roll fades out. When it's gone, I'll switch to something else. I like to sing ballads the way Eddie Fisher does and the way Perry Como does. But the way I'm singing now is what makes money. Would you change if you was me? Elvis was dating two girls at the time. One in Memphis, the other in Biloxi. June is the Biloxi one. He tells her he promised Tom Parker that he would wait three years to have a life of his own. He needed that time to build his career. June is at a concert of Elvis's in Florida, and a reporter starts yakking with her. She tells them, yeah, of course, we're going to get married in three years. Well, it's printed the next day. Tom is pissed. Elvis has to go out and tell the press, I've got 25 girls I date regularly. She's just one of the girls. Great. They think everything's all straightened out, except the press calls June's mother and interviews her. And of course, she confirmed the bit about waiting three years. Shit hit the fan with Tom. No more girlfriends while touring. The press really started getting mean, and they would call his fans idiots. They're somebody's kids, Elvis argued. They're somebody's decent kids, probably that was raised in a decent home, and he hasn't got any right to call these kids idiots. If they want to pay their money to come out and jump around and scream and yell, it's their business. They'll grow up someday and grow out of that. While they're young, let them have fun. Don't let some old man that's so old he can't get around sit around and call them a bunch of idiots because they're just human beings like he is. In August, Elvis finally arrives in Hollywood to film his movie. There were rumors the producer of this movie, who also worked on Rebel Without a Cause, wanted to make a biopic on James Dean. Elvis told them he would be perfect to play Dean. Obviously, the picture was never made, but what a mistake. That could have made a boatload of cash for everyone involved. Holy crap, all the actors that worked with Dean were still in their prime. They could have played themselves. What a missed opportunity. Elvis does start hanging around with Nick Adams, who was in Rebel with James Dean. Tom doesn't really want Elvis hanging around too many Hollywood folks because he didn't want Elvis to find out what they were paying their managers because most people don't pay their managers 50%. Natalie Wood even started hanging around. They never went anywhere fancy. They just bopped around drinking Cokes and goofing off. Luella Parsons had been begging for an interview. So one night, all three of them show up unannounced at her house ready for an interview. Nick seemed to be kind of pushy to me. While in Memphis with Elvis, he invited Natalie out for a visit. Um, this is not your house, dude, but it's the South and hospitality is thy middle name. Natalie was raised in Hollywood, so a small town was something she was not used to and called her mother halfway through the trip, begging her, please make up a lie, get me out of this. The first movie Elvis did was originally titled The Rio Brothers. He was very professional and came to the set the first day with every single person's lines memorized. Love Me Tender was released as a single and it blew up. The studio thought, uh, we need to hop on this money train. Let's change the title to Love Me Tender. That movie performed better than The Seven Year Itch and was neck and neck with Giant and The Ten Commandments. The press is pissed because it's clear that the teenage dollar is calling the shots. The studios are stoked, but they're scrambling to crank out product for these people to consume. 
Elvis was adamant he did not want to take acting lessons because he wanted to be himself. Isn't acting being someone else? But then again, when millions of people are paying to see the persona you are, don't fix what ain't broke, right? After Elvis's last Ed Sullivan performance, Tom tells the networks, you want Elvis on your screens? $300,000, two guest spots, and a TV special, you got him. Tom also got into merchandise. He sold $40 million retail in 15 months. He was not only selling I Love Elvis merchandise, he also sold I Hate Elvis items. This bastard was slick. The next movie he does is Loving You. Elvis gets his parents on screen during the last big scene of the film. Gladys had been in the hospital a few weeks prior to this due to a shoulder pain and some nausea. And she thought she looked fat, but she was thrilled to bits to finally be on screen dancing, just like she wanted to do when she was a little girl. On a visit back home, Elvis drops into Sun Records to just see what's going on. Their new artist, Jerry Lee Lewis, is there, so he starts playing with them. Carl Perkins joins in, then, in the middle of doing some Christmas shopping, Johnny Cash drops by. They all start jamming together. Thank you, baby Jesus, somebody in the studio hit record. They were christened the Million Dollar Quartet. Some of the songs are up on my blog. You can tell it's just these guys at the peak of their ability having fun. It should be noted that out of all four of these guys, who would have thought that crazy-ass Jerry Lee Lewis would still be alive today? I love him, but he is batshit, which is probably why I like him. Elvis had bought his parents a large ranch-style house, but the neighbors in the middle-class neighborhood did not like the little girls taking over the streets trying to get a peek at their idol's home. They also were very snooty and did not like Gladys hanging up the washing on the line all by herself. So, he buys Graceland, an 18-room colonial-style estate on 18 acres of land. It was built in 1939 for a doctor. That land had originally belonged to the doctor's wife's aunt, Grace who had a 500-acre cattle ranch on the location. So Aunt Grace, Graceland, got it? Their daughter was a professional harpist, so the home was already built around music. Elvis paid 120 grand and wanted the most beautiful room in Memphis for his mother. For himself, he built an eight-foot square bed and a 15-foot-long couch. Some people think the decor at Graceland is gaudy. I am not one of those people. If you got it, flaunt it. I would much rather have a room with stained glass peacock windows than the drab prison gray look that is in vogue right now. Ugh. Speaking of flashy, Elvis then had a $2,500 gold leaf suit made, all because of Liberace. That's a $22,000 suit in 2020. The first night he wore it, he dropped to his knees and little flicks of gold broke off the suit. Tom told him, do not ever do that again. You're costing yourself too much money. Back in Hollywood, Elvis starts work on Jailhouse Rock at MGM. All the secretaries at MGM are totally used to mega stars. But when he came on the lot the first day, these ladies, young, old, whatever, stopped doing their work and went outside to just have a look. They gave him Clark Gable's old dressing room, and Elvis thought he had finally really made it. The choreographer had originally had him do some kind of a Gene Kelly type dance move around, what is it? I don't know what else to call it. It's the freaking stripper pole in the GL scene. He told the choreographer, I don't dance like Gene Kelly. So he watched Elvis dance and said, okay, I will have something for you tomorrow. During the filming of that number, Elvis is kind of whistling while he speaks. 
and he hears something rattling around inside of his chest. In a different scene in the movie, a guy had to rough him up and he knocked a cap off of one of his teeth. Elvis had to have surgery because it had gotten into his lungs. The doctor had to go past his vocal cords to retrieve the cap, which then broke in half while he was trying to get it out. I bet that doctor was shedding his pants when he was doing that surgery. By this time, Elvis's entourage has grown to 20 plus people, mostly cousins or just some random dudes from back home to keep him company. Of course, he's paying all of them. The press labeled them the Memphis Mafia. Hollywood directors labeled them fart catchers. That is what I'll be calling them, because they seem to be a bunch of sycophantic leeches. While doing research, it was hard to decipher what stories were true, or if these were just good old boys making the only cool part of their lives seem cooler than it might have been. That thought was definitely flavored by having worked in Beverly Hills myself for a few years. I found the celebrities to be very nice, but their fart catchers were pretty vile. One of his former fart catchers stole a copy of Teddy Bear, then had it played on the radio before it was even officially released. That guy got canceled out of the group. Done. Bye. Well, like a lot of boys in the 1950s, Elvis got drafted into the army. It was deferred for 60 days to allow him to make King Creole. James Dean was originally supposed to play that lead, but did not work out well. It was looked upon as Elvis's best dramatic work, and it is his favorite of all of his own movies. Walter Matthau, who was in the film as well, said that Michael Curtiz, the director, used to call him Valti and Elvis Elvi. Curtiz, who was born in Hungary, would say, now Valti, this is not Academy Award scene. Don't act so much. You're a high price actor. Make believe you're a low price actor. Let Elvi act. I will say, Walter Matthau only ever said really positive things about Elvis and his acting ability. His first day of basic training was a shit show. The press was everywhere. You know Bye Bye Birdie? That's what this whole thing is based on. Like, all of it. Anyway, after training, he goes back home on leave. Tom says he wants some more songs to put out during the two years he will not be available. So, in a six hour period, he records A Fool Such As I, Big Hunk of Love, I Got Stung, and I Need You Tonight. All of those were worldwide hits and brought in over 5 million in sales for the next year. In August, Gladys is feeling really bad. She's hospitalized for hepatitis, but she starts to fail quickly. The army did not want to release him. They didn't want to make it seem like he was getting any kind of special privileges. So Gladys's doctor, who was the chief of cardiac surgery during World War II at Walter Reed, called to speak to Elvis's colonel, not Tom, an actual colonel, and said, look, colonel, if you don't let him go, I'm going to sit down with the world press and I'm going to burn your ass. It was really nice that Elvis got to see his mother, but she died of a heart attack two days later. When the press came to Graceland to get a statement, Elvis and Vernon were sitting on the front steps, sobbing uncontrollably. The reason Elvis worked so hard, all the cars, the house, everything was for Gladys. This was a soul-crushing heartbreak that he would never get over. I know that sounds like a throwaway statement, but Gladys was the only person he could really talk to. Now he was looking ahead to a very lonely life without the one person he wanted to share everything with. The army might have actually been the best thing for him at this point because he didn't have to think. He just had to follow orders and walk. So for 17 months, he was shipped off to West Germany. Vernon and Grandma Minnie flew over and they all got to live in a house together. This is where Elvis meets Priscilla. She was living on the army base with her mother and stepdad. She was 14 when they met. Elvis said he liked her because she was young enough to shape into what he liked. Okay. Please note, their meeting takes place a few months after Jerry Lee Lewis was kicked out of England for being married to his 13-year-old cousin. 
Um, England? You were so good at incest that a disease popped up because of it. Less than 50 years before this, hemophilia was really problematic because the royals loved banging their cousins so much. So, in the words of Jerry Lee Lewis, England can kiss my ass. Previously, Elvis took his mother's diet pills to get more energy. Now, the army issued soldiers dexedrine to keep them awake during overnight guard duty. Was everybody just high on speed in the 50s? Women had their diet pills, men had this. I guess that's why America got so much done during those years. Everyone was just a drug addict. When he came home from the army, he recorded Don't Be Cruel, then flew directly to Florida to film the Frank Sinatra Timex show, which he was paid $125,000 to sing two songs. A few years before, Frank Sinatra said this of Elvis, his kind of music is deplorable, a rancid smelling aphrodisiac. It fosters almost totally negative and destructive reactions in young people. Elvis took the high road and said, regardless of what you think, you can't please everybody. Some people hated Jesus and he was the perfect man. Frank seemed to change his tune because Nancy Sinatra, his daughter, was pretty friendly with Elvis by this time. Elvis has got to make up for lost time. So he goes back to Hollywood and they pump out GI Blues and Flaming Star. They come out one month apart. Flaming Star, which had the potential to be a good movie, was in and out of theaters. There was talk of Elvis being in the film version of West Side Story. But Tom said no, he did not want Elvis in the movie with a knife. Really? I probably would actually like West Side Story if Elvis was in it. He would have been awesome. After he does the single Now or Never, which was his biggest selling single, he does a gospel album. Everyone said that is an awful idea. It'll ruin your career. He had promised Gladys that he would do a gospel album, so that's it, it's happening. I find it very interesting that the man people called the devil in the beginning of his career won all of his Grammys for gospel music. Not for rock and roll, not even one. Seeing gospel is how he used to warm up before he did any sort of recording or a concert. You do not have to be a religious person to appreciate these albums. His version of How Great Thou Art, I know I'm skipping ahead, but the live version from 1972 is sensational, and Peace in the Valley are amazing. Definitely listen to them, they are on my blog. After that, he cranked out a movie called Wild in the Country, which he hated. He really wanted to be given a chance like Frank Sinatra got with From Here to Eternity. He wanted an Oscar. He knew he had the acting chops, but needed a good script. So, like Sinatra, Elvis flies out to Hawaii to shoot a movie out there. While filming, Elvis did a charity concert to help raise $54,000 for the USS Arizona Memorial Fund. Blue Hawaii was the largest grossing of all of his films so far and had a best-selling album. It's got tons of girls, Angela Lansbury plays his mom, great numbers, and visually it is gorgeous. I mean, it's set in Hawaii and it's in color. This was Elvis at the peak of his movie career. Blue Hawaii was the mold that from hereafter, all of his movies would be made from. And this is where we will leave him at his peak. Don't worry, we will return to Senda later this summer and look at the other half of Elvis's life. Now, I'm aware that a lot of people accuse Elvis of stealing the rock and roll sound from black music. From what I read, Elvis grew up in black neighborhoods. It was the music he listened to. He wasn't a dumb person, but I don't think he was smart enough to think, oh yeah, let me rip this off. He was just playing what he liked. He was extremely open about being influenced by black artists. A lot of people seem to think I started this business, Elvis explained. But rock and roll 
was here long before I came along, and let's face it, I can't sing like Fats Domino can. I know that. Do I think the people around him were smart enough to figure out they could make money like this? Hell to the yes. Sam Phillips said, quote, If I ever find a white boy who could sing like a Negro, I'd make a million dollars, unquote. Sam explained how the South was before Elvis. The white kids liked the music, but they weren't sure whether they ought to or not. So I got to thinking, how many records could you sell if you could find white performers who could play and sing the same exciting, alive way? Here is what black artists of that time period thought of Elvis. Little Richard said he was an integrator. Elvis was a blessing. They wouldn't let black music through. I thank God for Elvis Presley. I thank the Lord for sending Elvis to open the door so I could walk down the road. You understand? Al Green said he broke the ice for all of us. Whatever your thoughts are regarding this issue, there is no denying the gigantic talent and star magnetism young Elvis had and still has. If you look in the comment section of any video of Elvis performing from the 1950s and 60s on YouTube, you will see a sexual awakening of a lot of straight dudes. It is fantastic reading. Here are some quotes. I'm a straight dude, but uh, Elvis is flirting with me with his entire body. I'm married, but Elvis was the most perfect man I've ever seen. Chef's kiss. I could read these all freaking day. It is my new form of fun. Now for the most important question. Do we want to party with young Elvis? He's not a drunk. He's very polite. He is not bad to look at. He would probably sing for us. As long as he leaves his fart catchers at home, I think, yeah, he can definitely come. Next time, we're going to get to know our very first producer. So come back next week and find out who. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Party. For more information about this episode, head over to hollywoodpartypodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like the show, please tell every single person you know. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen on Spotify or Anchor or whatever the hell you want to use to listen to us. See you next week. Have that noisy girl.